Hey everybody, this is John. And this is Vince. And you're listening to Legends of Tabletop. Creating legends one die at a time. Thank you for having me out again. Well, thank you for joining us here at Legends of Tabletop. Okay, so you're here to promote Guignol and other sardonic tales. Oh, and an introduction by Gemma Files. Yes. Awesome. I was very happy to get her. So Yes. Oh, and you've got a wonderful uh, blurb on top from Publishers Weekly as well. I was very happy to get that, too. Yeah. Yes. My, I haven't had the best luck with Publishers Weekly reviews in the past, always, but this one was really nice. So we were, we were very happy to get it. And now I'm looking inside <laughs> of this wonderful book. That, that you have here and you've got you've got blurbs from publishers weekly matthew and bartlett excellent author i love matt yes and i'm very pleased to see the blurb from him and then you've also got one for painted monsters and other strange beasts from laird baron and daniel mills and i got a bunch of others from painted monsters and throwing the other philip glad yeah <clears throat> Giat. Is that how? Oh, okay. I'm sorry, Phil. I don't actually know how you say your last name. Well, we'll learn. Um, we'll learn. Yeah, Phil's a really great guy. He was the director of um, They Remain, the Lord Baron. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he and I met at HP Lovecraft Film Festival one year, and he's been supportive of my work and just a really cool guy. We live tweet bad movies together occasionally and just do silly stuff. Nice. We just did The Howling 2, which he had never seen, which is bonkers. It was fun. <laughs> The, the Howling 2? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's like, for people who have only seen the first Howling, like 2 and 3 are so much weirder than the first one is. Like, they are just completely gonzo craziness. They're they're very strange. <laughs> um, they're absolutely worth watching, but they're very bizarre. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, I noticed that uh, you've also been published in many, many other uh, outlets specifically online i've i've run across just a few articles that you've done um so i've done i mean i've done a few uh i have one or two stories online as well but mostly i've done a lot of um i've done a few articles like longer articles about broader topics so i have one that makes the rounds pretty often it's actually shown up a lot again lately even though i wrote it almost a decade ago um about john carpenter and cosmic horror in his apocalypse trilogy which is the thing prince of darkness and in the mouth of Mass. um and that one actually, like, like I said, I wrote it, I don't remember what year it came out, but it was it was a long time ago, like seven years ago, I think. Um, and just this last year, it's shown up, like it got quoted in a commentary track on a movie, on uh, the commentary track for Someone's Watching Me, which is a made-for-TV movie that Carpenter did. And then um, it got quoted in a book about In the Mouth of Madness, and so it's, it's kind of blown back up on me this last year, which is cool, but also, like, I kind of wish it was a more recent article, because I would have written it better, I think, if I'd written it now instead of seven years ago. But, you know, um, and so I've written that. I've written, um, I'm trying to do more film writing online. Um, I've done, I have one book of essays on vintage horror films mm-hmm. out, but um, I'm just trying to get kind of into the film writing scene a little more online because movies play such a big role in my other writing and I watch them a lot and that way I can kind of parlay that into publishing credits or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so I've done a lot of that um, and it's showing up online a little bit more than it used to. Okay. Well, uh, you spoke to something that echoes with my own experience uh, with the older article, seeing how you could have done that better. You know, I'm, I'm happy that the article's getting traction. It's not like I, I don't, I'm not happy with it. I just... 
I would write it better now. <laughs> see, unfortunately, I've I've breezed through the posts that I see on Facebook so quickly. It's just a brief glancing, and I have not read the article that we're speaking of, actually. So I, I definitely should do my research a little yeah, bit. I want... I want to eventually write a follow-up to it um, that I just haven't gotten around to that talks a little bit about... Because um, the cosmic horror in those three movies is, is pretty front and center, but I think there's some elements of it in some of Carpenter's other movies, like uh, Salt on Precinct 13 or Halloween even. Um, and so I kind of want to do a, a sort of expanded article where I talk about that a little bit because it's less obvious there, but I think it is still there. Um, so, I don't know, maybe someday. Maybe someday I'll get that written <laughs> and published somewhere. <laughs> I definitely hope so. Um, also, I was just wondering if you could speak to me a little bit of uh, writing in someone else's eye regarding your work with uh, Iron Kingdoms. Yeah. Um, it, it's very different writing in someone's IP, and it's not something I'd ever really done before I started working with them because, um, I mean, like everybody, I dabbled in some Lovecraft pastiche at one time or another. But for the most part, I mean... Um, when I was in high school, I wrote fan fiction, uh, but it's all lost to the history of good. That's good. It's good. It's done. Um, so, I, but I did some of that. But, but as far as like serious writing, I'd never done anything like that. And when they approached me, I mean, I knew the setting pretty well because I'd played the game and read the books and everything. But it was a very different. Like it was a very different process because my process normally when I write is very organic. It's not very structured. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to just kind of get an idea. And then I roll that idea around in all the crap that's collected in my brain until it picks up enough other, enough other crap that I can make a story out of it. Yeah. It's usually how it works. And so, like, when someone asks me to write a story with any kind of guideline to it, it's usually kind of a, this isn't the story I would have expected, but here you go, it's what I got. Mm -hmm. um, and so writing for an IP was very different because it was very much, you know, it has to be this story. It has to go this way. Like, um, And especially when I wrote a novel, I wrote um, one novel for them, and that was... Uh, was a very different experience because I I wrote it was a 92,000 word novel I think and they gave me a 9,000 word outline for that so like the outline itself was longer than most of the short stories I write and it laid out you know chapter by chapter it laid out what had to happen you know what what I had to emphasize you know what order things had to happen in and all this stuff and it was very detailed and so for me, then it was a matter of finding ways to make each of those scenes work and make them play and make them, you know, sell them, really. And instead of coming up with the scenes themselves, it was, it was, how do I approach them? And so it was a very different, a very different experience. I imagine it's kind of like writing, like a movie novelization or yeah, something, which I've never written. that's almost what but, I was thinking. Yeah. Because when you write this, you know, you've got the screenplay, but you've never seen the movie mm -hmm. yet, of course. And so you have to kind of... You, you know what happens, but you have to kind of make it work your own way. Mm -hmm. Put your stamp right. painting that has already been created. Um, and so I haven't, I haven't actually had a chance to work with them in a... It's been about a year like, since I did anything for them, but I'm hoping to do something again for, you know, for them or someone else. It was a fun experience and very different from writing, you know, the normal writing. So how would you say uh, this has gone so far? So far, so good. Um... I've gotten mostly uh, mostly good reviews. Um, it it came out in October, so it's not. It's only been out. I guess. Oh my gosh, it's almost Thanksgiving, so it's been out almost two months now. But mm -hmm. um, it's gone pretty well. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy with the book. Of course, it looks great, and uh, I'm very happy to be working with Ross at Word Horde on it again. Um, I love the cover that Nick Gucker put together for it. Yeah. Um, it's got, I, it's I'm got so light. happy to see uh, Nick's current trajectory working with Mad. 
Yeah, so. no, I, I, it was really cool to see him mad because it was just such a weird, like, because I was the same way. I, uh, we used to go, my parents would go to this flea market that was like, it was a dirt mall, so like this huge, you know, mall uh-huh. with dirt floors and all the different booths and everything, and there'd be sellers there that would have old back issues of yes. Creepy, or, uh, and they'd have like Mad Magazine, and they'd have Cracked Magazine, and that kind of stuff, uh-huh. and I'd always dig through those looking for the, the Mad Monster Party issues, where they all had the, you know, monster stuff all throughout, yeah. and I'd like buy all of those that I could find, and so I had a ton of those when I was a kid, and like, and in a lot of cases, those were my first exposures to some of the like weird B-movie monsters, like the Roger Corman monsters and stuff would be like in these comedic, maybe a photograph with a little bird balloon saying something silly. Yeah. Um, I've got, I ended up stumbling a stack of old creepies oh, wow. at an estate sale. And I think I paid five bucks <laughs> for like 30 of these oh, things. Man. That's amazing. Yeah, I I have been doling them out to myself in very small doses. So I still have, it's new to me content. Right. You know? Right. But it's obviously so old in those same illustrators from Mad Magazine. You can see oh, their yeah. work yeah. and recognize it. But yeah, you've got uh, 14. Yeah, 14, 14 stories in that. Um, now, have these all been previously published? They have not. So originally, oh. uh, four of them have not been previously published. Um, when we started, it was going to be one that hadn't been previously published, and various things happened so that ones I had sold other places didn't see print for various reasons. In one case, you know, the publication didn't ever happen. In another case, it's been delayed, and I got permission from the editor to go ahead and include it because I'd already laid it, laid it out with the intention that it would be out. And so what was going to be one original story became four. Mm-hmm. So there are, uh, there are four original stories in it that have never been published before. And then um, a couple of the others are kind of hard to find. Like they're in, uh, they're in anthologies that are, have relatively limited print runs in one case, or um, in one case there's, uh, there's a novelette in there, The Cult of Headless Men, that was previously a chapbook, but it's sold out. So mm-hmm. if you didn't get the chat book, it's the only way to get it. So it it's, should be a nice a nice amount of new new material, even for people who have followed along, if there are people like that, <laughs> and read most of my yeah. stuff. <laughs> I believe that there are. Um, well. <laughs> I hope that there are. If there are, thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. So I, I see that you have a brief mention of other chapbooks here. What, Gardenell's Real Estate with M.S. Corley? Tell me so about that. Gardenell's Real Estate, it was a really big, really big hit, but we only made like 200 copies of it. So there's only, you can still get a PDF of it, actually. You can go to, uh, you could, there's a link on my website, but you can also go to, it's, it's Gumroad is the company, it's the, the you know, ordering thing. And uh, it's M.S. Corley's store at the front there. Um, but it's, uh, what it is, is he did, he, he came up with the idea of this and he, he's the, he was an, he's a illustrator. He does a lot of book covers for Valancourt books and some other, other companies. And he did the cover for the deluxe edition of my first collection, the hardcover edition of it. But, and also the interior illustrations for Never Bet the Devil. Yeah. Okay. Now that um, was recently reprinted, correct? Yeah. And that's the reprint is the one that he did mm-hmm. the illustrations for. Okay. Um, but anyway, he, he's a friend of mine and uh, an amazing artist, and he came up with this idea that he would draw these houses, um, these kind of spooky houses, and then I would write uh, a little paragraph about each one as though it was an, like a, a real estate catalog. And so they're, they're real estate listings for these like haunted houses, basically. And so we did, uh, I don't want to, I mean, 
maybe like 15 or something of these houses and then printed them up like a little pamphlet and sold 200 copies and they've been really popular. Um, we were talking about doing a, a follow-up to it um, that we're going to do the other way around uh, where we're gonna, it's going to be a Gardenell's estate sale and it's going to be like an estate sale catalog and so it'll be items instead of houses and I will write the descriptions first and then he'll draw them. Okay. Um, so anyway, that's what, that's, that's what that is and uh, like I said, you can still get it in PDF if anybody listening wants to get it. Um, unfortunately, the print copies are all gone. Long time. I have one. <laughs> I'm going to step away for a brief second. And I am awesome. No problem. I can do it by quick. What else could I bug you about? What were your largest fears growing up as a child? I used to be really afraid of, like, so... My, my fears are usually not, like, the stuff that shows up in my writing as much because I was afraid of, like, diseases and things when I was a kid. Like, I was afraid of getting sick or getting hurt really badly or, um... I remember, you know, I watched some... a movie about... Oh, I don't even remember. Uh, it wasn't cancer, but, you know, some, some really, like, bad disease that you could get. And, and I was just, like, after I saw that movie, I was just terrified of, you know, coming down with, with whatever this was and, and not, like in a way where I was a hypochondriac it just it made me scared like and it felt so out of my control because it is mostly mm-hmm. um and when I was a kid that really scared me a lot and it's so, like scary movies never actually really did um I mean weird ones would I remember when I saw uh, of all things Pet Cemetery 2 2 2 never yeah. seen 2 um it's not really but all Pet Cemetery 1 got me <laughs> Uh, there was this just one bit into where like the, it's just a dream sequence I think, but yeah, the kid he buries his dog in the cemetery or whatever, and his, his mom's also dead, whatever. But he has this dream where he wakes up and his mom's sitting at the foot of his bed, but she has his dog's head, and that really scared me for some reason when I was a kid. I don't know, I was like ten or something, and mm-hmm. uh, but it's weird things like that, like just random stuff. Like I, I watch much scarier movies, and they wouldn't bother me, but that did. I don't know why. Kids don't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've learned from from having been a kid and also observing kids that the things that bother kids don't are not the things you'd expect a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I uh, when I try and think about like what scared me when I was a kid, it was mostly like natural stuff. It wasn't it wasn't like being murdered or or monsters or anything. It was it was like getting sick um, or or getting hurt. Yeah. I used to work at a fast food place and I always hated that you know, we had to throw away the food mm-hmm. like when the, we couldn't we couldn't eat it we couldn't give it to people we couldn't do anything with it but throw it away like if, mm-hmm. if it didn't sell you had to throw it away yeah um, because otherwise it it supposedly it incentivizes liability. theft and liability and all this stuff mm-hmm. right and but we're wasting all this food like of course you know and so yeah it's the same thing like but we would rather we'd rather throw it away than then get sued. Then find some way to help people and run a risk, right? Yeah. It's like, well, then why would people buy it if they just have to wait until this right. thing? Right, yeah. Stuff like that. It's just... Uh... Yeah. Disappointing. Yeah. It is It is very disappointing, the amount of waste that uh, we have as a society in general. Uh, it might speak to capitalism having its definite drawbacks. Um, but back to the topic at hand. <laughs> back to the topic at hand. Now, with Thanksgiving coming up, in all of your experience, 
Do you come across in your research anything related to the Thanksgiving holiday set in a modern time? I mean, I know of a couple of horror movies that are set on Thanksgiving um, that are relatively modern. Like, uh, um, I mean, there's like there's something called like Thanksgiving, I think, which has like an evil zombie turkey in it, which I've never seen, but it looks, you know, very silly. Poultry guy. Yeah, pol- there's poultry. Maybe maybe I'm mixing it up with poultry guys. There's also poultry guys. Yes. Um, but there's, uh, there's like an 80s slasher film called Blood Rage, which they're actually showing at the Alamo sometime this month if they haven't done it already, because okay. it's like Thanksgiving in five minutes, because I've completely lost track of time. <laughs> this month just went like, snap, it was just yes. Halloween. Like, minutes ago it was Halloween, mm-hmm. and now it's almost Thanksgiving already. Um, and those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. I did, a I actually did a, a list for a client that was like horror movies to watch for every holiday. And, Where uh, might that be published at? I think it's on it's on uh, Ranker was the client, so it's probably somewhere on Ranker. Probably you can look for my name and you'll find it. Yeah. Um, I do freelance stuff for them on and off mm-hmm. um, lists and other weird things. Uh, just whatever they whatever they ask me to do. Um, and I did it, and I, for it, I actually picked for Thanksgiving instead of any of the movies that are actually set on Thanksgiving. I picked Your Next, the sort of home invasion e movie that. Um, Adam Wingard made a few years ago um, because it's about like it, it's it's not specifically set on a holiday of any kind I don't think but it's about a family getting together for a meal um, and that going badly <laughs> um, and it's it's a really good movie uh, if, if you like that kind of stuff mm-hmm. as far as fiction I don't actually know of anything off the top of my head like that I'm sure there is stuff that I just don't know about, but I can't think of anything okay. um, that's set on Thanksgiving. Speaking of Turkey J, tell me about Birdemic. I have never heard of that movie before until I saw your post about so, it. So, um, I, I don't actually know the, the circumstances of its creation. I heard about it because of Rift Tracks. Um, but even... Before I saw it on Rift Tracks, I had heard I had heard tales of it because of Rift Tracks. Um, because it's it's this just majestically terrible movie that um, that is just a complete like utter failure on every conceivable level, and you know so it's perfect for for Rift Tracks. And they did back when they were back before Rift Tracks was kind of the the big thing it is now, and it was just getting started ish. They did a um, they did it live. Uh, yeah, so they, they were doing live movies back then, and they, they still do, I think. Um, but they did they did it live, and it was a big hit. And so the when I saw it was because, um, so this, this is kind of a story. My TV just started turning on at random. I got a new TV uh, earlier this year, mm-hmm. and it just started, like, it just started turning on at random. I don't know why. I'm assuming it's a software update thing, because, you know, Possibly. you get software updates. But it started turning on at random, and it would have channels on it, which is weird, because it's not hooked to anything. Like, I don't have it hooked to an antenna, I don't have cable, mm-hmm. like, my TV, the only thing I use my TV for is watching movies and, like, Netflix mm-hmm. and stuff. So it's, it's on the Wi-Fi, but it's not, it should not have had any channels. So I was very confused. There were just channels on it all the time. There was, like, this, this travel channel that was just on. It would come on in the middle of the night and, like, wake us up and there would be someone talking in my living room, like, upstairs, and <laughs> the TV would be on. So I, I was trying to figure out how to make this stop doing it, and I haven't figured that out yet. But I did figure out that there are other channels on there besides that travel one. There's also a channel that just shows riff tracks all day long. Um, oh, shit. What's that? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So just I, kind, of like, kind of like things are going on in my house. With, you, know, <laughs> you know, 
Um, so yeah, so I caught that entirely by accident and actually just happened to be what was on when I turned the channel on one day. And so I watched that. Um, I also watched Rock and Roll Nightmare because of because of Right Roof Trek's channel. I actually sat down and watched it. It was amazing. I, I, heard, I heard that little... Ah, <laughs> uh, it's 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 very it's very fun trash. It's trash though, man. Is it ever trash? It's some. Um, I mean, it's it's about uh, it's uh, John Nickel Thor. If you know who that is, he was uh, he was a uh, heavy metal, and this is it's it's in the eighties. It's very much an eighties movie. Okay. Uh, he he was also in Zombie Nightmare, which was an MST okay. movie, a movie they did for MST um, one time back when that was still a thing. Anyway. Uh, so, like, his band goes to this house where apparently, like, Satan lives or something, but they don't know that. And so they, they go there to record their new CD or whatever, and then the devil shows up in various, like, rubber suit monster forms and, like, knocks them off one by one. Um, and the the devil's minions are these, like, Muppety-looking little, like, rubber... They look kind of like... Honestly, kind of like a penis with an eyeball on them, but they're these little rubbery, you know, oh, like things with little mouths, and they look like Muppets, and so they're adorable. <laughs> like one of them, one of them has a little like Einstein wig, like hair, so he has like fluffy <laughs> white hair and a little eyeball, and, like a mouth, frowny little mouth, and like that's they're so cute, and like, <laughs> the the whole movie is just incredibly goofy, and and you know John Thor is so earnest about it, the whole thing, and it's it's very it was very funny, even without riffing. Honestly, it would have been really funny. <laughs> So, uh, tell me about working with Ross. Uh, working with Ross has been great. Um, obviously, I did, did it twice now. Um, I've done lots more than that, actually, but I've put two books out um, with him. Um, I first worked with him, he clear back when he still worked for Nightshade. Mm -hmm. So, um, I want to say it's like 2011 or 12. Um, I, he bought a reprint of one of my stories for the second uh, Book of Cthulhu that he was putting out through Nightshade back then. Um, and I was really happy to work with him because I liked the stuff he'd edited. Um, and then shortly right after that, I think the next year, in fact, he left Nightshade and started Word Horde. Nightshade went bankrupt and got bought by some other people and a bunch of changes happened, you know, as publishing is wont to do. Um, and he, he started Word Horde that following year, and he invited me to contribute something for the first anthology for that, which was Tales of Jack the River. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I did that, and I've been in pretty much every anthology he's put out, um, with one exception, uh, since then. Um, and uh, I just really love he's a, he's a great guy. He has a great... And, I obviously, you know, I obviously like his taste because he publishes my stuff. But I mean, he has he has great editorial yes. taste, and yes, he, does. he has a great editorial voice. So, like, you can look at the table of contents of one of his anthologies, or you can look at the the catalog of books he's put out. And if you know Ross at all, you can look at those and go, "Oh yeah, those are those are things Ross would have picked." Like that that yeah. all that all feels like Ross, even though it's it's other authors and everything. Mm -hmm. You know, you can really feel his voice in his selections, which is amazing to me. Um. Yeah, and he just he's he really believes in his authors, and he you know, treats us well, and is a great guy to work with, and gives you know puts up with all my weird uh, idiosyncrasies, and uh, you know helps me to uh, lets me put skeletons on the covers of all my books. And, uh, <laughs> now, all tales stuff. from a talking board, uh, the tale that you did for that one, in the in the review that I had written for that, 
uh, I didn't say much because I didn't want to provide too much information yeah. about any of the stories that, that I had talked about. Um, I, I think I had just said something of you delivered, but you delivered tastefully from the point of view of a female character. And, and uh, it, it was somewhat painful content, but you did that extremely tastefully, and I thought that was very well done. Thank you. You're welcome. I was a little nervous about that one, I'll be honest. Like, I've written, I've written from, you know, points of view that are not, that are more diverse than I am. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a white guy, basically. Um, and I, you know, I write from other points of view a lot, and most of the time I don't worry about it too much because most of the time it's, it's a part of their character and it matters, but it's not a part of the plot. Mm-hmm. Like, but in that one, it kind of was. It was. Yeah. It was very. You know, it was. It was important to the plot, and it was a, a perspective that, as a, as a man, I never could have, and so I had to pull it from you know, talking to people and reading other people's writing and stuff like that. And so I was nervous to you know, hoping I did it right. You know, yeah. which you'd never know whether you did something right until you know it's out there in the world, and even then, yeah. And someone might, someone might come down in you know, 20 years and tell me, man, you screwed that up. And I'd be like, oh my God, you're right, I did. You know, mm-hmm. But um, so far, so good, I guess. Yeah. And I think that, to a large extent, people ask me sometimes because, you know, because diversity is such an important thing and, you know, and, and, and it's becoming more and more a focus for people, which it should be. Um, but, but with all that, uh, people ask me sometimes, you know, is it, is it hard, is it scary to write about things that are not your personal experience directly. And yeah, it is. But I mean, I think the key to it is being willing to have been wrong. When someone comes to you and tells you, you know, this is, you know, I'm, I am this, whatever this story is about, you know, I, I am black or I am a Native American or I am from this tribe or whatever. And you got this wrong to be able to say, you know, I'm sorry, I, you're right. You know, I, I messed up and I'll try to do better next time. Like mm-hmm. instead of being defensive about it or trying to correct them or, argue with them about why you're right or why you did it you know don't you know you don't need to explain yourself just say you know yeah I messed up I was doing my best but I messed up and I'm sorry you know and I think that if you're willing to do that it's a lot less scary to to try and explore other viewpoints I'm I'm just I'm sitting here nodding in agreement (laughs) instead of making a making a uh ready for broadcast item I'm I'm that's my fault that I'm just sitting here nodding. So I'm the person who nods on telephone calls like all the time. I'll get a call from yes. a client and they'll be like, blah, 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 blah. And I'll be sitting there nodding. Mm. And pretty soon they'll be like, uh, does that sound okay? And I'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, you can't see me. I have so many things that I need to read. It's it's not even funny. Like I need to read, I've got, um, oh, Nadia Bulkin's collection, which is also something Ross did. Um mm-hmm. She said destroy, which has yeah. been on my like shelf to read for mm-hmm. several months now, and I really, really am excited to get to it, but it's happened for whatever reason. And um, mm-hmm. I've got I've got a number of other books uh, that are sitting there waiting for me to read them. Um, I'm actually looking forward. So in November, in December, I'm going to read uh, Matthew and Bartlett's. Uh, oh, darn it. Uh, yeah, his yeah, it's his Advent book. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, oh, I. Uh, oh, that's right. I can edit it out. Uh, <laughs> so I've got it. I've, I've got I've got it signed by both. Uh, <laughs> Him and uh, Eves. 
You have an actual advent calendar for him. I have the book. Ah. I, did, I did not get this fancy thing. Oh. Let's see. I. I just missed. I missed it. Like I, I don't remember why I wasn't fast enough on the draw, as it were. See, that was one of the things that I really looked forward to when going to Necronomicon. It's like, I need to get a copy of that. And then, of course, <laughs> I ran into Eve and I ran into Matthew. And I'm like, give me this. Yes. So, however, inside, it's signed by them both. <laughs> and so you, got, you see this one from me. And uh-huh. now I'm going to ask you to sign yes. it if you could. Yeah, I don't have a pen. But... <laughs> I have multiple pens. <laughs> I didn't think to bring one. Um, yours is glossy. Oh, you got an arc. Nice. I was like, yours is glossy. I, was, I haven't seen a glossy one. Well, now, now, now I, I have. have. It's such a cool cover. Yes, it is. It's a very cool cover. I tried to talk my aunt actually into driving down to Petaluma and entering the drawing for the oh the yeah for the big board yeah. Do you want to sign it on my story, or...? Yeah, please. You can sign it on your story. You can sign it wherever you want. <laughs> Thanks. You're very welcome. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, what I was, I was saying when we all got distracted trying to remember the name of it, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to reading um, uh, Matthew's uh, Of Doomful Portent. Oh! One story a day throughout That's December. So I'm year. really excited about that. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I got it, and I've been like putting it off so I could do that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I want to read it now. No, 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 I have to wait. I have to wait. See, that's the thing that I love about the format that it's in here that Eve did. Um, oh, man. It, it's so exciting to be able to just rip the little envelopes open one by one. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't, so I didn't get that, but I did get a copy of the... Um, uh, he and Stu Horvath did the the rooms. They did a uh, Stu wrote it, uh, and and you did the illustrations. And it's um it's in a similar format though, so it's a, a booklet like that, and it all folds open. But it's a choose your own adventure thing that like you fold it and you know open up different parts, and, like it opens up different ways depending on what you choose. And it's mm-hmm. it's really cool. I did get that, so I have that. Oh, I, I like it get a lot. That. <laughs> <laughs> and I had actually read it. Uh, in manuscript form, mm-hmm. like Beckman Stu was still working on it, um, and had gone through it and kind of helped him, um, you know, give, given him a beta reader on that. Um, and so, like, seeing it in manuscript form and then seeing what you did with it was like it was so different, and it was really cool to see that like yeah. transformation happen. Um, so anyway, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's that's what I'm going to be reading in December. Um, and like movies, I uh, so like. In, in October, so last year I was really sick in October, and so I kind of missed the month. Um, and so this this year I really like set out to, you know, I'm, I'm going to Halloween it up this October, and so I watch a movie or seasonally appropriate thing every day for the entire month of, wow. of October. So I got, I managed actually more than 31, 39 of movies that I'd watched in the month of October, because I watched, <laughs> I went to a couple of triple features and things, so I watched mm-hmm. more than one some days. Uh, so I watched a lot of movies in October, and they were all, you know, horror movies. And so um, I was kind of going to, like, ease out of that a little bit in November, but no, I've watched a bunch of movies in November, too, for various reasons. So I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I uh, I just saw Overlord, uh-huh. uh, like, last week, I think, and that was really good. Um, and I'm looking, I'm trying to think what else is coming out this year that I'm looking forward to. I'm actually kind of running out of movies that I'm, like, really looking forward to this year, because most of the... 
most of the big horror stuff's come out, like Suspiria and all that, they've already come out, so I don't actually know what else is coming out this year, honestly. I haven't seen Suspiria yet, but I did watch Overlord, and I really enjoyed it. it me too. Uh, the creative bent that they took on the approach to the invasion at Normandy, I, I loved the scenes with the... Uh, with the flight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It had a really great opening. Like yeah. Just the whole opening. And one of the things that I've seen some people online point out, like, I really liked it, and it was nice, because a lot of the movies that I liked this year I've been kind of low-key disappointed by, even though I liked them. Mm-hmm. There, there's been something where, like, I wish it was this other thing, or I wish I'd done this thing differently, or I liked it, but I would have liked it more if it had been this or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Overlord was nice because it was pretty satisfying. Like, it was, yeah. you know, it was it was mostly all it needed to be. I kind of wanted them to, to do a little more with the experimentation stuff toward the yeah. end. Um, but uh, something I've seen a lot of people point out is that it does a really good job of um, balancing the horror stuff and the war movie stuff. So it's a pretty satis- like it's a pretty solid war movie and a pretty solid horror movie, which is pretty cool that it's both and not yeah. like one or the other. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I had a, a really good time going to see it. Um, I'd been hearing good buzz, and so I was like, oh, I'm, I'm curious about this now. So, yeah. Uh, it kind of came out of nowhere for me. Like, I hadn't heard anything about it until about a month or two before it came out, and mm-hmm. then it was like, oh, yeah, this is getting good reviews. I've materialized yet, but there's a lot of anthology, you know, genre anthology TV, like, in the works, because they're doing a creep show oh, as a TV right. series, I too. I about that. Um, and I think there's one other, like, they've talked about, I can't remember what the other one was, but there's, there's one other, like, anthology horror uh, thing that, that's that's in the works, and so I'm, I'm really curious if that format, like, makes a resurgence, because I loved those shows when I was yeah. younger, you know, when we had, like, Tales from the Crypt and mm-hmm. Tales from the Dark Side and Monsters yeah. and all that stuff. Um, and I would love to see more of that, because we have a lot of, of solid horror TV, but it's all narrative, like, it's all, you know, a continuous story, it's... it's mm-hmm. American Horror Story, or, you know, and, and now Sabrina is out now, which mm-hmm. I haven't seen any of yet, but... I mean, that's kind of halfway through that. <laughs> but it's, it's all stuff like that. It's all, like, story-driven stuff instead mm-hmm. of standalone anthology stuff. And I'd be really curious to see, like, a, a, I'm really hoping we kind of see a resurgence of that with this Twilight Zone thing and Creepshow and where else is happening. Mm-hmm. That'd be really cool. And maybe I can write for one of them. That'd be cool. We'll see. Now, speaking of, of script writing, have you have you done much in the way of script writing? I'm, I'm shaking my head on the podcast. That's really good. Um, <laughs> no, I've I've actually never I've never done any screenwriting. I've pra- I've written some scripts for comic books that never happened, mm-hmm. um, but I've never done any screenwriting. Um, but you'd think I would, given how much I write about movies, both in my fiction and otherwise. But yeah. I, I've never. I know, I think the problem is that I know enough people who do it that I know that it's A, hard to break in, and B, once you break in, most of the stuff you write doesn't get produced. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just kind of, I've never done it. Like, the opportunity has never felt like it was there. And I know I could just do it and start submitting, you know, like, yeah. you do anything else. It, but... it seems to me that it would be <laughs> an almost natural progression, though. It, it does. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I never have. I really honestly don't. Um, I mean... You, you've already got plenty of content. <laughs> it's, true, it's true. And I, I mean, I think of myself, I, I don't think of myself as someone who does a lot of long-form writing, because mm-hmm. um, I've never written a novel except the one licensed one. But um, really, movies aren't especially longer form than a short story. They're actually, like, short stories adapt to movies better than novels do, because the, the novel is, or the, the movie length is closer to a short story length than a novel length, really. A novel length is more like several movies. Um, as far as just what falls in them. And typically. that's that's why I see when I yeah. see books that I love get 
uh, make the uh, transformation into into the screen. I, that's probably why I get so upset to see someone cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's I mean, and it's 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 more true now than it used to be. It's like post the eighties, you know, novels are very long. Like they're very thick, and there's a lot of stuff happening in them. But like older novels, I and mean, you, you look at stuff from the, the 70s or the 50s or whatever a lot of them were shorter and so they made mm-hmm. the trend they made the jump into movies and you had to leave less on the floor yeah. because you know the, the novel itself was thousands of words shorter and so you know you had a lot less stuff to cut out mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean um you know even even something like uh the haunting of hill house the the 1960 version of it you know it's a like 90 minute movie but it cuts out very little from the novel really yeah. i mean it's pretty close it cuts out some but it's not you know, it's not like it's not like the average Stephen King adaptation or something where yeah. you have you know whole characters and plots and things left yeah. on the left on the you know cutting room, cutting room floor. floor. Um, so yeah, it's it's just a kind of a different beast depending on what length you're. Working. I don't know. I'm not. I'm really not sure why I've never tried screenwriting. I honestly don't know. I probably should someday. It's a it's a question I get asked a lot, and I've never come up with a satisfactory answer. Okay. <laughs> not even for myself. One of the responses that I do remember getting, the most common one was um, how do I get published? But any advice that, that you would have is, would be pretty much golden to <laughs> any uh, to any listeners that asked me that question, which I, again, four or five. Yeah, I, unfortunately, as far as I can tell, the only, literally the only answer to how you get published, well, anyway, is just keep trying. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, don't don't give up. That's pretty much the only way in. Like, you know, you can you can find you can find places that will publish you badly, and that's easier. But it's not worth it. Um, so to get published in any place, you know, and published well and paid for your work, and you know, somewhere you'll get readers and all that kind of thing. It's just a matter of perseverance, really, and luck to some extent. But if you keep trying, you'll you'll hit the right spot eventually. Um, and a part of it is that you know you're you're not going to. It's not just a matter of getting better. It is a matter of finding that right spot because not everyone's going to be the right fit for you. Like um, one of the things that was was really good for me as a writer is that I edited an anthology fairly early in my career. And editing that anthology, I had to reject so many stories that I loved. I, I just couldn't take them for one reason or another. They were too similar to another story we already had. They were too, you know, they weren't the right length for the, the space we needed left. I mean, there were there were so many reasons why I had to let stories go that I wanted to keep because we could only take so many. Mm-hmm. And and I could have filled out that book again with the stories I had to reject that I wanted to keep. And knowing that, like seeing that process in place and seeing how it was just it was just the right story at the right time and not the best story necessarily because it had to fit too it didn't just have to be good it also had to fit it had to complement the other stories it had to be a link that worked well with the other stories i was buying so if, if you know if, if you buy if you're trying to fill out an anthology and you buy and, and you have fifty thousand words say to fill out if you buy t- a ten thousand word story that's four twenty five hundred word stories you can't buy yeah and so you know if you buy a couple of ten thousand words or a couple if you hit a couple you really love, that's somewhere you're going to have to reject because you can't fill it with just five 10,000-word stories. That's not going to be satisfying to read. Like, that's not going to be a good anthology. 
And so just, just seeing that process from the other perspective really early on helped me to kind of not take rejections personally and just sort of see that, you know, okay, it's just, it's just not the right fit. It really, they really mean that when they say it's just not the right fit. And so it's just, you know, trying until you find the place that is the right fit. And once you find one place that's the right fit, you'll start to find more. Like my, my early career and, and really my career up to this the last few years was defined to a large extent by a couple of editors. I found a couple of editors who liked my stuff and they would come back to me. Like I, they would either buy me stuff and buy my stuff again, or when they were doing another anthology, they would, you know, mention it to me or invite me or whatever. And so finding a few people who liked what I did, I could get a few more stories out there, which would find me more people who liked what I did. And it just built from there. But early on, it was, you know, Sylvia Moreno Garcia and Ross Lockhart and a few other people who just championed me relatively early on that got me to where I am now. Um, but I mean, at first it was, yeah, I was publishing, you know, a few, in a few anthologies a year and that was it because I just hadn't built it up yet. It just took time. Um, but it's hard to, it's hard to wait. Like it is hard to, you know, it's hard to keep trying over and over again. I mean, I have millions of rejections like everyone else does from before I started getting acceptances. I got lots and lots of rejections. Absolutely. For, you know, 10 years, most of it. Um, and just, you know, you finally get where you're going eventually or... Or run out of creative juices. Right, yeah. <clears throat> um, also, an, another one that I did get in, and, and I find it rather strange that my memory is starting to shift in focus, <laughs> um, is, uh, of course, this is a common one, and I'm certain that you see it a lot. You have a schedule for your day regarding, do you have a time that works best for you, for your writing, or do you just force yourself to hammer out a certain word count every once in a while? I, I should have all those things. Um, please, no one, everything I'm about to say, no one take as advice, <laughs> because this is a terrible way to work, the way I work. Because I freelance full-time, mm -hmm. I do the paying work first. And by paying work, I mean the stuff that, like, not, not fiction, because fiction pays, sure, but it pays slowly and it's never a guarantee. I mean, if you get an invite, you're probably going to sell that, but not always, even then. And it's months between the time you finish the story. I mean, you know, it takes usually weeks or months to write a story and get it ready for publication. And then once it's done, it usually takes months to get paid. So anything that's going to pay me faster than that is what I write first. So it's always, you know, website content work or marketing work or whatever. That's, that's always the stuff that comes first. And when that stuff comes in, the client usually wants it in a day or two or a week or something. Like it's got a short turnaround. And so that means that I work when the work is there. And when the work's not there, I don't. I watch a movie or I do the dishes or I go buy groceries or whatever. Yes. And fiction, then I just end up putting into whatever spaces are left around all that mm -hmm. other stuff, which is not a good way to do it. Please, no one, no one take that as a good way to do it, but it is how I do it. Mm -hmm. um, it should not be. I would be a much, I'd be a, probably a better and certainly a more prolific writer if I did it more in a more disciplined manner. And, and I'm sitting here nodding and smiling in absolute agreement with that and fitting it in the spaces around all of the other obligations that make up a day. Yeah. And the way, the way I write a lot of times is, and when I have a deadline that I'm working toward, I will work differently. 
to meet that deadline. But a lot of the times when I'm writing fiction, it's a matter of, okay, I need to write this story. I need to write a story that fits this theme or whatever for an anthology. And so I'll let that rattle around in my head while I'm doing other stuff. And eventually I'll hit on some idea and I'll write down like three or four paragraphs of it. Mm -hmm. And then I'll just leave it for days or weeks. And I'll come back and I'll be like, oh, these paragraphs were terrible. Or I'll come back and be like, oh, hey, I can do something with these. And so I'll write a little bit more. And eventually at some point I usually hit a click where, okay, everything fell into place finally. And I may have written the same three or four paragraphs a dozen times by then, or I may have written nine different beginnings or whatever. But when it finally clicks, I usually write it in a few days. And then I have a crappy draft that's, you know, I wrote in a few days. And then, (laughs) yeah. And then I take that draft and let it sit in a drawer for like a week so Mm -hmm. that I forget what I wrote. And then I go back and redo it from there. And that's usually my process for writing stories, which again, is not a very disciplined process, but that's how it usually goes. But it seems to have worked very well as I sit here tapping. (laughs) My third collection. Or guignol. And other... Am I pronouncing it wrong I think so. No, I think you got it. Guignol. Guignol. Yay! Don't feel bad if you are pronouncing it wrong. Like, I was on a podcast with uh, Brock Wilbur, who won't mind me calling him out, the other day, and he pronounced it wrong the entire time. So, (laughs) it was good. Differently each time, but always wrong. Hey. I may also be wrong, because I'm not French, but I got... I got... I don't speak French either, but I got the online, you know, pronunciation dictionary thingy to pronounce it for me. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) So I would not get it completely wrong. Okay. Um, But yeah, so I I may not, I may not, anyone who actually speaks French is free to correct me at any time, but as far as I know, I'm pronouncing it right. (laughs) Okay, great. So Guignol and other sardonic tales, and that is available uh, from Word Horde. At, at the uh, usual online outlets on Amazon, yep. correct? Yep. Is that also an ebook format as well? It is. Yep. It's on. Yay. It's on all. First, I know all the ebook platforms, so Kindle and and Moby and whatever. Okay. Um, it's at Barnes and Noble. I know for people who don't like using Amazon. Um, it actually made one of their lists in October. They did like Ooh. a you know spooky reads for Halloween or whatever list, and it made the list. So that was cool. Nice. Very um, nice. Now, what do you have in the uh, in the pipeline? Um, so I have, while I was sort of putting this together, I had uh, a number of stories that got published that, that I wrote, and some of them have been published now, and some are still waiting to come out, that are all um, sort of a story cycle. They all share a mythology, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, but they don't really show characters or, or plots or anything. They're all they're all different um, characters. And so those are... A few of them are out already, like I said, and a few more are in the way. And my hope then is I've got most... Um, yeah, part of the way through a novella that's going to kind of anchor what I hope will be a collection of those stories that I hope will come out in the next couple of years. I haven't actually put it together yet, so... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know when or from who or anything like that, but that's, that's kind of my next project. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm also working on a sequel to the collection of essays on vintage horror films that I did. Oh, that's great. Um, Because when I did that, uh, the reason we did that was because I had been writing that column on vintage horror films for like five years for Innsmouth Free Press when it was still a thing. Yeah. And uh, we collected everything that had been published (laughs) into that book, but I had actually been writing ahead. So I already had like another... 15 or something written already that didn't oh, wow. go into the first book. Okay. 
and since I already had those written, and since I watch those old movies all the time anyway, I talked mm -hmm. with, with Sylvia, and we decided we're going to try and do another one of those. So I'm kind of working on that as well. Um, hoping to have it ready for Necronomicon next year. Fingers crossed. Oh, definitely. Um, but I still have a few more movies to watch and columns to write. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. So the, as far as like publishing projects, those are kind of my next my next few things. And then um, I have I have a number of short stories sort of out there in the world that are not tied up in any collections yet that I'm, you know, mm -hmm. always kind of thinking about where those are going to go and what, like, what... Whenever, whenever I write a story, I'm kind of always thinking, okay, what collection is this going to go into? Because I'm, I'm going... I like collections. Like, I like... Mm -hmm. I like I like putting up putting yeah. collections, and I like reading them. I love them. these because they're in such small doses that I can I can get this done. <laughs> I can complete this yeah. in one sitting, and it's great. Yeah, so whenever, I'm, whenever, whenever I publish a story, I'm always kind of thinking about, like, what collection is it going to go into because just like any other book not all the stories go together like my collections have never been just the stories i had published at that point like in order or something there's there's something that makes them go together into, into one specific collection together for whatever reason like when we were putting uh, guignol together actually we figured out that one of the stories that was in it originally didn't fit with mm -hmm. the others and so we actually pulled it out and put it in a different story and everything worked much better after that um so yeah i'm always kind of thinking about that so i'm kind of thinking two or three collections ahead at any given time because i've got stories out in publication or waiting to come out that i'm kind of thinking about that for but yeah that's about it really right now um i had a a project that I thought was going to take a lot of time that fell through, which is, you know, both bad and good. It's bad in mm -hmm. the project fell through, but it's good in that now I have all that time freed up. And so I'm kind of figuring out what I'm going to do with that <laughs> new freedom that I suddenly have. Um, so I still haven't gotten too far with that yet. Now, I remember the last time that we had an interview, you had brought up a uh, the, the company that, that you do the website stuff for. And I didn't know if you wanted to take that time to uh, kind of plug them, if that was something that you wanted to do, or I can just edit this out. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm happy to. I, I do, at this point, probably back when I, when I, I don't remember how long ago I did the last interview with you, but I probably have more clients now than I did then. But um, I still do a lot of work for KCWMS, which is a local uh, content marketing firm. Um, and... It's run by a friend of mine who, you know, I work with a lot, and he's a great guy. His name's Steve, um, and, uh, you know, they, he does great stuff, and I think KCWMS, for the most part, does really good content work. So if anyone needs content work, if you hire them, you might get me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so KCWMS. If, yeah. if you want to read some of my stuff, go go pick up a copy of Guignol. It's, oh, absolutely. It's my longest collection, also, so you get more more stuff. There's two novelettes in there. There are. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Now I'm going to get my my little paws all over this. There's uh, The Lesser Keys, which was originally in Jazz Age Cthulhu, and then there's The Cult of Headless Men, which was originally a chapbook. Oh, cool. Those are both about 10,000 words-ish. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now now I'm seeing some familiar titles. <laughs> yeah. A number, a number of the stories in this one are, are ones that I think even people who follow along pretty, again, if there are any such people... Who follow along pretty devoutly probably won't have read because, like, the story that opens at Dreamhouse was originally published in uh, Gothic Lovecraft, which was mm -hmm. hardcover only from uh, Cisatrix, I think is the name of the publisher. Um, 
It's it's edited by uh, Lynn Jamnek and S. T. Joshi, and uh, but it was it was hardcover only. It was relatively expensive. It had a limited print run, um, and so I, I don't think a ton of people have, I mean, except for people who are like hardcore followers of that particular thing, have probably read it. I gotta, I gotta look myself and see what else is in here. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I know it's pretty. Uh, you know, it's it's not as common. Um, again, there's a few that never were published anywhere, um, and. Uh, and again, those 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 longer ones, the novelettes, are uh, not not as, as easy to get a hold of for various reasons. Oh, okay. um, so, uh, yeah, and then like um, the title story, actually, Guignol was in a, a book called The Burning Maiden Two, mm-hmm. um, which again, I don't think a ton of people have have seen. No, so, I, I remember speaking to you about that one the last time. Yeah. Yeah, and a few of these are, are ones from, like, other word horde anthologies, so you mm-hmm. know, the, the story from Tales from the Talking Board is in here. Yes. Um, so people who have read a lot of uh, Ross's anthologies may have read a few of these, but there will be a lot of new ones, too. And are, are there any reprints from Painted Monsters? No. I didn't nope. think so. Nope. Painted Monsters had two original stories, um, and but they're, they're, I haven't reprinted them anywhere except audio versions. They've, a few of the stories from Painted Monsters have appeared on Pseudopod. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah. I have four or five stories on Pseudopod at this point. Mm-hmm. So, um, they're really fun to work with. Uh, they, I they imagine do, so. They do really good, really good audio audio stories. Um, that they do. I, I love their stuff. I have never, I've never tried, I should, selling them an original, except the very first one I ever did. The very first one I ever sold them was uh, The Worm That Gnaws, which was in Painted Monsters, and it... At the time I sold it to them, I, it had never been in print, and I actually tended never to print it at the time oh. because it's it's written and you've read it probably, but it's written in dialect, which mm-hmm. means it is full of apostrophes. Like uh, it is, it yeah, is yeah, yeah. jammed full of apostrophes, and so I, I actually assumed that it would never work in print; it would only work spoken. But I had enough people tell me that they wanted it in print mm. that I put it into Painted yeah. Monsters. Um, but uh, in my opinion, like for it especially, the, the pseudopod version is the, the, like, that's the author's preferred version. Like, I okay. love the way they read it because they got, oh, I can't remember his name, um, but they, the guy who they got to read it just mm-hmm. did an amazing job. And all the readers they've ever gotten, for my stuff at least, have done mm-hmm. an amazing job and everything I've listened to from them has always been really good. Uh, they actually just did a story of mine called Goblins for Halloween. And it... They got Lehman Kessler, who does Astrocraft, oh, yes. to read it, and, yes. and and they didn't tell me who was going to do it, and he didn't tell me that he was going to be doing it, and so I got to be a surprise when it came out, and I was like, oh my god, it's Lehman, that's exciting. You, you think I you've run it out thing. of steam already? I don't know, it's sort of steam, it's just uh, things that I need to add, so it's, it's, oh, all, okay. it's all on you to oh, generate steam no. now. Okay, okay, that's, <laughs> that's my fault. Okay, so... War Machine, you had said that, that you wanted to... Oh, yeah, that does tilt back. We keep... All of these are for, like, the gaming table. This is our gaming table. So I generally sit there because <laughs> it's the pretty purple chair. I have the pretty purple chair. My husband sits there. And then um, that chair is for a rather robust gentleman. And it does tilt back. <laughs> like it always, so like I, I keep forgetting that it does, and then when it does, I'm like, oh yes, it tilts, and it always tilts just a little bit further than I think it does, and so I'm like, oh god, no, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, that's all of our all of our uh, tabletop oh, gaming, gaming stuff. stuff. Yeah. Nice. I'm not that organized with mine. 
okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least we don't have the table like covered with dice like we do. Or maps, like hand-drawn <laughs> maps. We have these 11 by 17 sheets of paper that Tom will bring from work and mm-hmm. just draw stuff all over them. I've got one of those hex map yeah. erasable things that I use mm-hmm. most of the time. <laughs> so you do uh so you do miniatures wargaming? I do miniatures wargaming. I, I don't do any of it as much as I used to, but I do miniatures wargaming. I play War Machine and the Hordes, so I play Gatorman mm-hmm. as my faction. And I do other tabletop gaming, you know, just kind of as as people around me are doing it. Like as I get invited into a group and have enough time to join i do it i don't run a ton myself anymore i've recently been running an iron kingdoms game like the iron kingdoms role-playing game i ran it for a while um and it's kind of winding down now um but i play just kind of whatever i get invited to play again when i when i don't just tell them i don't have enough time which is usually what i do um but yeah, so I've played a lot of stuff. I played uh, my my friend, like my my best friend, who was my roommate in or not my roommate in college, but he and I went to college together, and we were roommates after college. Uh, he really loves Exalted, mm-hmm. so he play he runs a lot of Exalted, and so I play it with him sometimes. I'm not as big a fan of it, but he loves it, so we play it a lot. Um, yeah. Speaking um, of, we uh, I, we just played a scenario from Tales from the Loop, which mm, is kind of based mm-hmm. on Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. I've heard about that. I haven't. I mean, I've seen some artwork and stuff from it, but I haven't actually, like, read up on it. Uh, I have some friends who, you know, are really into that aesthetic, and they're really into it, very excited about it, but I mm-hmm. haven't actually seen any of the mechanics or anything for it yet at mm-hmm. all. Um, so the only thing, like, the only game I've gotten recently, like, at all, I, everything, everything else I know about games is either War Machine stuff that I, you know, mm-hmm. or Ancient. Uh, the only thing I got recently is I got that, um, they did a Kickstarter for it, uh, oh, I'm gonna not say it right, the Von Unsprocken Lecken Dickholten oh, or whatever. Oh, yeah, the Unsprocken Yeah, that thing, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, I can't even come close to pronouncing that right. Anyway, um, I got that the the kind of like miniature skirmish mm-hmm. game. Um, I, I I kickstarted that. And got uh, I got a little like, ghoul faction for it, but I haven't played it yet. Um, mm. I got the book and page through it, which was really cool. It had some art by Nick in it, in fact. Nice. Um, but that's all I've done at this point is page the book and look at the look mm-hmm. at the toys. You're yeah. still gonna have content to look right. at. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, I think it's partly, you know, I'm partly, I'm, I'm an introvert and I'm, I, I didn't, I, I was basically an only child. I have older brothers, but they were grown up and moved away mm-hmm. by the time I was born. Um, and, and so basically, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time alone, both as a kid mm-hmm. and an adult. And that means that, you know, game, gaming is not really a thing you can do alone very well. And so most yeah. of my experience with gaming is actually reading about gaming. Mm-hmm. It's not actually gaming. Like, I've gamed, yeah. you know. I, I gamed in college, and I game sense, and I play, I play. The amount of War Machine and Warhammer that I have played dwarfs by comparison to the amount of War Machine and Warhammer I've read yes. about playing. Yes. Um, and so most of my experience with gaming is actually just reading about gaming or looking at pictures mm-hmm. or playing with little models or whatever, and, you know, like looking at them. It's, it's not... I, I, I do a lot more of that than I game, and I think most people do, honestly. Like, even the people who game a lot spend more time reading about it than they do doing it, because you can read about it anytime. You can do it by yourself, and yes. you don't have to get a group together, and That's true, all because, that stuff. I mean, we have a weekly gaming group, but 
it's I, I just show up it's fifth edition and and i'm here most times scrolling through my tablet or my phone <laughs> but yeah uh can you roll for me i have to make dinner <laughs> you know uh, so yeah i mean i've got i've got plenty of source books upstairs for uh old oh i'd have to say fifth edition call of cthulhu oh yeah yeah i, um, I had uh I've gotten rid of a lot of them, but yeah, when I was younger, I had tons of source books for games I had never played, mm-hmm. and never have. Yeah, I, uh, never. I, mean, I had I had like Earthdawn books. I never played that mm-hmm. um, because it looked really hard. <laughs> oh. uh, but no, I like yeah, I had I had some Call of Cthulhu books which I never really played. I played like one or two sessions of Call of Cthulhu, and that's it. Um, I you know I had yeah just scads of books. I have a right now I have a copy of Unhallowed Metropolis which I've never you know never played at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know I just have I have a I always had a lot more books than I ever used, certainly. Yeah. And you know, and then you cycle through them. So you, oh, I had a bunch of third edition D and D books, and then I had some fourth edition D and D books, and yes, you know, and, and now nobody plays those, so I don't use those anymore, and I've sold them or whatever. But mm-hmm. <laughs> we went through last summer, and I think we got rid of a bunch of the third edition D and D stuff. They had so many books in that edition too. And, oh man, yeah. yeah, that and riffs and yeah, there were a yeah. lot. Steve Jackson liked to put out a lot of stuff, a lot of content. <laughs> I do have the uh, the Steve Jackson uh, the Hellboy role playing game source oh, book because I'm I'm a, I'm a huge Hellboy nut, and so I've got, yeah. I got I've never played it, never mm-hmm. used it at all. Oh. But I've got the source book because I had to have it because it's Hellboy related. Yeah. So it's still on my shelf. <laughs> hey, you know, and and it does a great. It does a great job on firing up the imagination, too. Mm-hmm. I did buy another thing I kickstarted. I kickstarted the Hellboy board game that Mantic Games is doing. I kickstarted that gargantuan, ludicrous thing it turned out to be. Wow. So in, like, a few months, I should start getting the... I don't remember how many miniatures. It took 250 oh miniatures it ended up having on all told. I don't remember. Some crazy number. Because it kept... Kickstarter just kept going. And so oh, it kept hitting man. stretch goals. And so it ended up... <laughs> More like, and more what, was going to, what was going to be one box is now two. Like they're doing two boxes <laughs> in two separate shipments because they can't fit all the miniatures in one box. Yeah. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's just bonkers amounts of stuff because they ended up unlocking like five expansions or something. Holy moly. Um, and so I, I'm like, I'm, I, I got in like the first, within the first like 12 hours or something, I'd gotten mm-hmm. in. And so I just got to watch like what you just bought. Now it's all this. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> no, that's good. I'm glad. I'm good. I'm yeah. That's good. So I'm going to get all that at some point in the future it's almost like bidding on it or uh kickstarting uh, reaper when they decide I, to do something i never did that but jay my, no. my friend that i was telling you about alexis he did and so yeah, i got to yeah. watch the i just got these boxes i'm gonna dump out <laughs> all these miniatures yeah he'll he'll bring these boxes and and just like pour miniatures out of them onto the table i feel like i could just step over there and <laughs> Do that now. Yeah. Which one are you gonna play today, Leah? Uh, just make me the uh, gold lizard. <laughs> How about the earthworm with a with a ray gun? Yeah. Why? Who doesn't want to be an earthworm with a ray gun? <laughs> yeah. That's actually an old Valpartha, 1982, <laughs> I think, series that we ended up getting at, at one of those uh, markets, the little mm-hmm, flea market mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was the Nico and Nelly's right up Quivera. Oh, nice. Yeah. 
sounds cool. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. Anything in the realm of either pop culture or literature or literary things that we haven't touched upon that we should? Is there any shout-outs that you want to give? I am sure, but <laughs> if there are, I think I'm sure there are. I am... I am not thinking of them, though. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Oh, man. I have, have every confidence I'm forgetting lots of things. but Me too. And that's my fault, because I did not I did not take the time to write down anything. In the olden days, my, my Thanksgiving tradition was always to watch Mr. Jones Theater, mm-hmm. because they had the Turkey Day Marathon and ran Mr. Jones Theater for 24 hours mm-hmm. on Thanksgiving. But now I have a channel that functionally does that all the time. Oh my gosh. So I don't know, I don't know whether I'll do it this year or not. Now, I'm moving my office upstairs, and so we'll change this, but like, during the summer when I was working, I would always, I'd work downstairs in my mm-hmm. office, and so downstairs it was always nice and cool, mm-hmm. but upstairs it would be like... 80. Sweltering, right? Yes. And Grace would come home and be like, "Why is it so hot in here?" And I'd be like, "I haven't been upstairs. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's fine down there." So <laughs> I'm moving my office upstairs, so it's gonna be it's gonna be different. So it'll be nice and warm during the winter, maybe. One of the funny things is that I've worked on a laptop for so long now mm-hmm. that when I try and type on normal keyboards, mm-hmm. I am completely lost. For the, like, it takes me it takes me like minutes to adjust to working on a normal size keyboard yeah. because I'm so used to my laptop's keyboard. Yeah, and it's just the the difference is really slight but it's big enough mm-hmm. that like my fingers just go to the wrong place yeah but I've, I've only owned I've only owned laptops for pretty much my whole life like since high school oh. all I've ever owned were laptops I because I, I guess because I write so much I just never bought like I never had a desktop because I could only afford one computer mm-hmm. and I always spent the money on a laptop and then um, that way I could take it with me you know and yeah. write different places and so I would just and game a ton and so I would just uh, run a laptop for everything because pretty much all I do is write and get on the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I miss gaming because I used to play video games a lot. I played uh, console games. I played PlayStation. And mm-hmm. Before that, you know, Nintendo and Genesis and all that. Um, mm-hmm. What was your favorite a cartridge? A cartridge system or actual game? Cartridge game. Favorite cartridge. Um. So back when it was a Nintendo, it would have been Castlevania 3. Mm-hmm. Um, I played Castlevania 3 until the wheels fell off. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> got... That's the one where you switch between the three different characters, yep. right? Yep. Uh, and it was also the only Castlevania game I had because we didn't have a ton of money uh, yeah. when I was a kid, and so I, I only had, like... I owned, like, eight Nintendo games and everything else I borrowed from people or rented or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I played a lot of Castlevania 3. Um, and then when I got a Genesis, uh, I really loved Fantasy Star 4. Mm-hmm. Um, I played a lot of it. Uh... So those would probably be my two biggest cartridges like that I actually owned. I like Ninja Gaiden a lot, too. Probably mispronouncing that also, but... Um, I'm nodding in agreement, because that was also one of my favorite series. I, lo- I love that series, and I, I still love it, and I kind of want to actually go back and like dig through some some resources from it, because I feel like Ninja Gaiden, like, when you strip out the, the like, faux orientalist, you know, ninja... The, the 80s we were obsessed with ninjas when you throw that like it has a lot of really interesting weird aesthetics going on with like the demon statue and mm-hmm. some of the like horror monster stuff that went into like especially the second game yeah. I think there's a lot of really interesting aesthetics in there that I'd like to kind of like mine out and 
I don't know, use for something. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, it's obvious to like say, you know, I, I'm a horror writer and so I played a lot of Castlevania and so I got a lot of Castlevania references, right? But Ninja Gaiden seems like a less obvious horror like yeah. inspiration, but I feel like there's a lot of horror stuff going on in it. There's underneath there. the Underneath the like 80s ninja stuff. Um, which I mean, that's one of the one of the things that one of the things that I think is really a good thing about like the pop culture I grew up with is that so I grew up with video games and I grew up with comic books, and there's a lot of bad things about both of those. Like the, both of those do a lot of things badly, yes. but they also do something really casually that I think I just accepted as something that just happened all the time that wasn't very casual before that, which is that they mix and match genres, yeah, just with. Reckless abandon, um, and so you know, comic books take place in a universe where you know aliens and Dracula and you know other dimensions and all this stuff all exists in the same Everybody universe alongside Zelazny novel right. or yeah. something. Yeah, and I also read Zelazny fairly early on, which also probably didn't hurt. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, and 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 it's it's so like it's taken for granted so much that all this stuff coexists. It's not mm-hmm. seen as genre bending at all. They're not they're not like, you know, look at us, we're we're bending these two genres. It's like, no, we we own these two properties, so of course Conan is going to fight Howard the Duck. Why not? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um I mean we, we own them both. They're both going to coexist. What? And and both video games do that too, where it's like, you know, yeah, this is you're a ninja and you're also a cyborg and you're also fighting demons. Why not? Yeah. And I think that just that that attitude of casualness toward the boundaries between genres, you know, was something that affected my outlook really early on where I just didn't really think about there being a hard distinction and you know now that I'm now that I'm older and I'm writing stuff I'm, I'm aware of those hard distinctions and why they exist and why they're there but I also can ignore them pretty easily if I want to and so like I, I don't like I have to I have to think about them to notice them it, it's sort of instead of instead of being the other way around instead of having to like consciously try and break boundaries I have to actually consciously try and have them mm-hmm. <laughs> otherwise it's like yeah why wouldn't there also be ninjas in my cyborg story or whatever you know and so yeah I, I think that was I think that was actually good, good for or I don't know if good for me is the right word but I think it was important for my formation as far as how I think about genre and fiction in general was just all the stuff that I consumed when I was a kid didn't think about it at all it was just like nope yeah. everything all thrown in together I have so I've only <laughs> recently I'm way behind the world um because everything filters to me through Twitter, but I've only recently encountered this whole Bowsette thing, and I think it's kind of fascinating. Like, I love the idea of this, like, crown that, like, animates functionally inanimate things. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes! Like, I love the, like, the, I saw the, like, chain chomp at, or whatever, <laughs> and I was like, this is fantastic. When I was in high school writing fan fiction, this would have been the best thing. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I would have loved this. Like, whether we had this out or not, but gen- genuinely, so I, I, in high school, I wrote fan fiction. Like, I wrote anime oh, yeah. fan fiction, because that's what you wrote. Like, I, I, yeah. I was active in that in that community online, to the extent there was one at that time, because this was this was the early days of online. Community was weird back then. It was like mailing lists and Telnet. stuff. Telnet. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I was active in that, you know, and, and I had friends and we wrote fan fiction and we, we, we had, uh, there was, I, I did a, a role-playing mailing list where like, mm-hmm. Essentially, it was all just elaborate yeah. fan fiction role playing via mailing list. And I, I did all that stuff. And A, I mean, you know, I, I wrote a ton of it and I learned a lot writing that that was useful. But B, I both can tell by reading them 
sometimes, but also no because I knew them back then. Mm-hmm. That a number of like really good, prominent authors who are working now started there. Yeah. And there's no, can... nothing wrong with it. I yeah. mean, you know, there's nothing wrong. It's it's fine. It's great. Everybody, mm-hmm. please, all go do your fanfic. It's rad. Yes, yes, it um, is. Um... But yeah, like, I, I mean, I know several people who I knew back then mm-hmm. who are like award winning science fiction, fantasy, and horror writers now. That's excellent. And, you know, th- that makes sense. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. You're honing the same talents you're going to use when you're not writing fanfic, I hope she won't mind me saying this, but I mean, I know, you know, Gemma still writes fanfic and sometimes then edits or files the serial numbers off of it enough yeah. that by the time she's done with it, it's not recognizable as fanfic anymore. But it's honestly, like... that's a lot of what I'm doing. When you get right down to it, I'm taking things that I like, I'm mixing and matching them, I'm filing off the parts I don't like and sticking them some part of some other thing I liked, and I'm eventually making something that's mine. That's that's what you do. That's that's what creation is to a large extent. Is you take yeah. the parts of the things you liked and you stick them together until they make something new. What makes your pulse pound? You know? Right. Yeah. Exactly. The the best example from my stuff that I I know of is that there's a story in my first collection called The Bar Guest, and it's it's jumping off point. Like its premise is the same premise as a movie called Werewolf. Really awful movie called Werewolf that they did in Mystery Science Theater of, which is how I saw it, and. The the idea of werewolf though is that they find that these archaeologists are digging and they find a werewolf skeleton and one of them cuts themselves on the tooth of the oh. werewolf skeleton and becomes <laughs> a werewolf. Right? That's a great idea. That is a great yes. pulp idea in a terrible movie. And so like that's that's a great idea. So I'll steal that idea and I'll write a different story that has that mm-hmm. same premise. And that's what I did. And you know, so far no one sued me. So, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's yeah, it's. It's just part of it. It's part of it's part of the process for everybody, I think, whether yeah. they admit it or not. I mean, everybody's kind of writing fanfic at one time or another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some some of it's just more accepted than others because it's not yeah. owned by a big corporate IP mostly. Oh man, that is true. <laughs> yeah, there's there's clearly a market for being silly though too. Like, yeah. we were talking about Birdemic earlier. Like, Birdemic's mm-hmm. a terrible movie, right? But oh, tons of people. Right. How many Tons of people know about these movies because they're terrible, because it's fun to watch movies that are terrible. Yes! And, you know, the, yeah, there's like literally, I think, six Sharknadoes or something, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I had a it, um, someone on Twitter had talked about the Evil evil Bong, the movie Evil Bong, and someone replied, I, you know, I refuse to, like, I can't believe that there's an Evil Bong movie. And I replied back with a link, can you believe there are eight of them? Because <laughs> there's eight of them. I had no idea there was one of them. <laughs> yeah, Full Moon made eight. Eight Evil nice. Bong movies. Hey, as long as they sell, right? Right? Um, and, you know, yeah, there's there's a there's a place for that kind of stuff in the world. Like, there's obviously a really high demand. Sergeant for, Kabuki Man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's, 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 a, there's a need for that kind of stuff in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. People, people want it, and it's great. Bigfoot pounded my ass, you know. <laughs> yeah, Chuck, Chuck Tingle has become some kind of weird folk hero out of that. Not oh, even, yes. not even, yeah. He's he's something else. <laughs> True. Uh, he's he's amazing. Like I've actually read a ton of I'm his stuff. I'm probably gonna cut a great deal of this out selectively. What? I don't know. No, that's ridiculous. Even even with all the blank space, I bet we'll have plenty, and hopefully, I'll be able to. I'm okay with whatever stays in. So it's all you. Excellent. I don't I don't think I said anything that I need edited out. I no. hope. 
<laughs> no, you did not. You absolutely did not. No. I know I have been on podcasts a couple of times where I said things that I was under NDAs for, where it's like, I need you to edit that out. That needs to not go in there. But I'm not under any NDAs right now, so I'm no. good. I'm good right now. So. No, I'm, I'm looking at the finished product right now. <laughs> Speaking of which, is this one for sale? Yeah, absolutely. Of course you. you know I'm going to yes, ask you yes. to sign it for me. If you could. Yeah. I'd be very appreciative. Do you want it uh, personalized or anything? Yeah. Or just signed? All right. Yeah, you can. I'm, I'm going to keep it anyway. <laughs> Man, some people, like, are specific about what they want in books. Like, really? Yeah, like, even the ones they're keeping, like, they, they have a system that's how they have people sign their books, and they want it to be that way, and so I always ask. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Enjoy. I will. Yay. Of course don't sit in the front row. Well, at least not without a, a trash bag. <laughs> right. <laughs> thank yes. you. Uh, it's, I guess, sort of ironic that I would choose the uh, the Grand Guignol for my title for my book, because my books are, my stories aren't actually usually very bloody in either of these, for the most mm -hmm. part. But the Grand Guignol certainly was. Nice. <laughs> it got very bloody. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com. The podcast, words are dumb. Or <laughs>